0: So please welcome Frankie Lee Slater. Ah, I love this group. I think it's such a wonderful massage place to get into storytelling and learn from each other. So thank you for the listening, thank you for the speaking and the sharing. I, um, I didn't really know about the musical you know, aspect of of key change as a pretty well understood thing. If you're a musician, I I um, looked it up since it's been assigned as the theme for the month, and I I'm enjoying that part of this group as well. Like discovery is one of my things, and so I, I started to consider it as as a metaphor and as um, the movement of life, and uh, I wanted to connect it to my experience of life, which is very much one of having uh, really strong intention, and kind of like a, a a real true awareness of being on a soul's journey, and a dedication to sharing like the the juice of that with people. So I I hope that through my telling the story, sharing the story this evening that it's maybe access for people living um, according to that thread that runs through our lives. I, I often talk about being like a dancer out on the dance floor with the divine and that, you know, I I'm a willing participant, you know, I, I'm part part of it. I'm not the whole thing and nor am I a passive, you know, person. And So I've been contemplating a lot about where it began for me, which, you know, is, of course, many different versions. But the one I want to share about journeying and living an intentional life um, goes back to when I was in my 20s. And I was a hugely successful young entertainment publicist. Um, I had the life pretty much anybody would at least have a projected wanting of, you know, and, and, um, I had moved to California having had a, a already a solid career in New York, and I ended up in a very buoyant, uh, PR firm that, uh, brought me into the company of really some of the most highly creative people in their fields, and I, um, was sailing. And everything about that was beautiful. It really was. I I ended up representing Giorgio Moroder, who did the soundtrack of Midnight Express. And um, it made such a difference in the movie at a time where that was beginning to be more of a component. Um, And I campaigned the soundtrack at a time that it really wasn't very much done. probably largely because I didn't know better, and I had a lot of spunk, but it was, uh, you know, I was just in it, and that led me to, you know, other really high creative people, and at the same time, stuff was going on, stuff in the entertainment industry. So when I look back at like this last year, where we see the Me Too movement, or the the uh, Time's Up movement in the entertainment industry with all the travesties that happened in the industry, I was watching it as almost like a a revision of this experience that I had so many years ago. Uh, And for me, it it took more of a, wow, people really do that to one another? And and, and less about the sexual stuff, though that was certainly in the whole terrain. Um, But more, you know, like people just out and out lied or that you know, be, there were a number of women that were very catty and talked behind your back. There was um, a, asserting of things and putting down, and and that part troubled me a lot. It troubled me deeply. And I was um, having a conversation with a man that was a, a older and wiser and further along in his career than I, and um, sharing about what was going on with me and my, my confusion by the whole thing. And, and he said, well, you better get used to it because it's the way it is. And I was like, no! <laughs> I knew better. Now, I was fortunate that I knew better. I had a life that had given me a lot of wonderful experiences that I had to go by. And I knew that, no, that wasn't the way of... It didn't have to be the way of anybody's life, and it certainly wasn't going to be the way of my life. And I made a, a pronouncement, really, to the universe that I was going to find the stuff that works and bring it back, and bring it back in media. And I, my career continued to go up, up, and up, while this awareness continued to be there for me, and s- these things that work started to show themselves. Uh, the first thing that I recall was that I went to the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard and I met this Russian sports psychologist and he had worked with Olympic athletes in in Russia and this was now 1984 and he was in the United States and he was working with American Olympic athletes. Well, the, the Russians won the Olympics for a good many years because they utilized certain understandings and, and leading edge you know, research that was going on to do with neuroscience and things like, um, so visualization, actualization techniques. And I realized, well, this, these kind of things existed in the world that we could learn and we could, we could apply in our lives. And so I started to do PR for Gregory the Russian. And he was a brilliant, brilliant person, and also, like, really crazy, like, completely crazy. And, I mean, like, I took him to meet my mother, and he dropped 40 Valium in the car on the way there. Or, or one time—I don't need to go deep into it, but— it, the, the realization was that I probably needed to be somewhere else and uh, but I didn't you know I was on such a rise that I didn't want to go down with that so I I had met someone at an, an event we would attended actually it was uh um in the early days of video dating and and people were having these gatherings at you know local establishments bars and restaurants and all and and one of the people at this gathering that we went to, basically to pick up business for um, what he was, the Russian was now applying in business. And, and very intelligently, when he wasn't doing these extreme other things. Um, and one of the people that came to this uh, get-together had gone firewalking. And I, it kind of came and went past me in the in the, that evening, but at this moment where I realized I needed to like not you know, continue with Gregory the Russian, I called this guy up and I said, you know this firewalking thing that you mentioned? I'd like to know something about that. Could you tell me, you know? And he said, oh, yeah, you know, and he told me a little bit. And, and I said, well, you know, when are you going to do this next? And he said, tomorrow night. So, so I, I went with him, um, and this was in the early days, if perhaps you've heard of Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins um, was quite young at the time, and he was uh, taking people in this experience of firewalking, which really was tremendously profound, because it would break up our ideas about what we are and aren't capable of. But the thing that was most powerful for me, that that certainly, um, was that it introduced me to an entire field called neuro-linguistic programming. And it was very leading edge, and an understanding of how we can make quick change, and how we store information, how we go about things, how behavior um, can be um, shifted. And I had gone to Northwestern University. I was very, um, I just had a wonderful education. But I was dumbfounded that I never heard about these things in my Harvard of the Midwest education. And I, I started to be pulled more and more in that direction. While well, at the same time, my, my career continued to succeed in the entertainment industry. I, I was working with the Who. I put on the biggest party in New York for the opening of their film Quadrophenia. I was dating Oliver Stone. I, I mean, I. I t- all sorts of people and my you know so that was going well but I was feeling like I was starting to fulfill on what I was there for and I couldn't quite see where I was going I became the director of PR at Samuel Goldwyn the film company was 27 years old I had a staff I had PR companies working for me and again, I was working with really talented, creative people, but then there was also a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, and one of the saddest things for me that happened at Sam Goldwyn was there had been a situation where people's cars were getting nicked in the uh, valet parking in the building. We'd moved into a, a brand new um, designer building, and they had valet parking downstairs. Well, this had happened with my car, and I found out it had happened with a couple of other people. So I was a department head, and I was 27, 28, 29, when I was at Goldwyn, and I brought it up in the department head meeting, and I kind of got you know shut down for it. And then I found out that actually my immediate boss, another guy who was in charge of uh, film archiving, and then a bunch of secretaries and people who didn't really have much of a voice this was happening with as well. So I brought it up in the department head meeting again, even though I'd been told not to touch it. But I felt like, wow, this is new information. I'm going to bring it in because this is important and people need to be represented. And the two people, the boss and the other guy, both department heads, when I brought it up, sat there in total silence. Didn't back me up, didn't say anything about their experience, and I jumped up and left the room crying which is not really something department heads do you know <laughs> you know but i'm glad i did because i I've, I've always been really true to my heart leading me in life my guidance and um, it's taken me on a journey so that intention that i set I, I realized, you know, I, I can see that I don't aspire to the, natural, the next step. I, I don't wanna have my own PR firm. I don't wanna be the head of PR at a major studio. In fact, I went on two interviews. One was at Carol Co. Pictures, and the other was at the brand new uh, Disney Channel and I had a coughing fit in the middle of one interview and uh, just had to say the thing I probably shouldn't say in the other because the guy was such a royal son of a gun. And (laughs) I just had to, I just had to, you know, and of course it scripted um, the next section of my life. So what, what came up, which is such a powerful part of this uh, key change of life that I think happens naturally when you stay in your groove and you do the dance, uh, is that I realized that it would probably make really good sense to have a mentor, someone who had gone before, and that that would help me um, discover the invisibles that I um, clearly couldn't see but felt strongly were there. And so my very specific order to the universe was to find a mentor under whose wings I could fly to the top of the industry. And I was sharing this with just about everybody at the time. I I shared, literally, everybody (laughs) was sharing it with everybody. And I would get a mixed bag of results. You know, like, good luck, wouldn't everybody, you know, and... I was hired on uh, Poltergeist II, the other side, as the unit publicist, which is the on the production person that puts together all the press materials, does any active press, and the uh, lead actors were Craig T. Nelson, Joe Beth Williams, and Will Sampson, the Native American actor, and if you saw Cuckoo's Nest, he was the big Indian in Cuckoo's Nest, this amazing presence. Well, I did my little Susie PR number and introduced myself to Craig and then went and introduced myself to Joe Beth. And then I went to the trailer to introduce myself to Will. Knocked on the door, said, come on in. I, I went into the trailer and I looked at him and he looked at me and I looked at him and I fell into silence. And I said, you know what? I'm going to come back when I know exactly what I have to say. And I backed out of the trailer. So that was my first meeting with Will. Then a couple of weeks into the film, um, everybody was shooting. Publicists hang out a lot on films. I, I didn't really enjoy that part of my career, even though I got paid, like, you know, the high end in the Publicist guild and all of that, but it was a lot of sitting around. I like to be active and involved. So, so the only two people that weren't shooting at that moment were Will and myself. And we ended up at the luncheon table out on the site, sitting across from each other. So as I told you, I was saying to absolutely everybody that I was looking for a mentor. So I shared this with Will not to ask him for something but really just to do my thing so I, i said this and he looked up from his lunch and he said i'll be your mentor and i knew it was exactly what i had asked for fly to the top of the under whose wings i will fly to the top of the industry that probably wasn't the set idea that I had, which was probably going to be like another David Putnam, who'd been a client of mine, very successful British producer. You know, more in that form. Um, And Will turned out to be, of course, the perfect mentor. And what happened was he sent me on on the journey that I've really been on full-time since the summer of 1985, Um, half my life, a little bit more than half my life now. And... Um, he sent me to a Native American gathering in Canada. It was held by an elder named Albert Lightning. And I found out many years later that Albert had been actually the spiritual head of all the North American tribes who went to meet with the Queen of England and stuff like that. But to me, he was kind of a little old man who was having this amazing gathering. Um, But when Will told me, uh, he he overbilled it, which he probably needed to do to entertainment publicist girl who hadn't really done anything like this ever. But I knew implicitly I was supposed to go. He said there would be 2,000 people of many traditions coming together, sharing their wisdom, and speaking about the prophecies in this time and what was coming. And I organized to um, have someone drive with me, a seasoned traveler gal. And she and I set about this journey up to Canada, to Alberta, Canada. We drove 2,300 miles to camp out with Albert in this gathering. And he brought these huge medicine teepees in long trucks. And uh, his teepee, his name was uh, Buffalo Child. And he had white buffalo on either side of the entrance, a rainbow over the entrance, and a stand of brown buffaloes around the teepee, and um, I participated in a four-day uh, spiritual um, pr- experience um, where we, only 14 of us chose to do this out of about 125 people. Um, uh, no food and no water, and we started with a feast we did a sweat lodge. We did a, all sorts of beautiful Native American practices. And the most profound, really, for me was, was the giveaway ceremony. And the giveaway is a just its an understanding that Native peoples live by when you live close to the land and you're really related to this world that um, we're always provided for in the circle. And so Albert had through the year, people would come to him for blessings and, uh, and guidance. And he would be given tobacco and blankets. So at this gathering, he gave every one of us a blanket. And now it appeared like he had no blankets, but of course he would always be provided for. And it was such a crucial lesson for me in life. This whole experience of that week... Um, the beauty, it was glacier-fed waters. On the third day, while I didn't eat or drink, I did put water in my mouth from this water that was coming out of the glaciers, and I've never tasted anything more extraordinary than water. And it became so real for me, the connection and the relationship with all of life. And the... The journey that this woman, Joanna, who went with me and I went on, took us... We kept extending and extending, and and I met one of my core best girlfriends, as it turned out, when we were in Vancouver after the gathering, and met many, many people through her as a result later on. Um, And when we got back to Los Angeles, I looked in my journal, and I realized that we had been gone exactly 40 days and 40 nights. Didn't plan it, just happened. Um, and I've I've been a devotee of of who we are together my whole life, really. I was a sociology major in college. I, we had a lot of family experiences that were going on a vacation with other people, like school trips. I, I've been that anyway. But, Since then, I've been um, totally committed to humanity getting that the real beauty of this world is in who we are together and that we can be fully ourselves and um, come together and rely on one another. And so this has become the story that took me on the road eight years ago. I've lived in over 200 homes, as I've shared here and share all the time. But what does that mean? 200 homes are not like a blanket. Everything's the same. There's so much nuance, so much beauty, so many different ways. And at the depth of it, human beings are dealing with some really gnarly stuff. And that has to do with perception of separation. Every single problem that's out pictured in this world is the mind operating separate from the heart having an idea of separation that has us going about things in a particular way and i have lived it so intimately so deeply with so many people that i can be truly emphatic about it um, and as a result i get to share the value of all of this, the natural world, our relationships, and Circles Uniting is that. So the thing that wasn't read out loud is that I, I, this week I chose to say who I am as an emissary for Circles Uniting. It's really um, it, to, to have people get the full benefit of the relational world that we're in, and that the seven points, and I think they're now saying six billion people Um, on the planet truly are our relations. And we can find our way together and get the bounty of it. We can have grace and ease. We can get to be more fully ourselves. Um, and, uh, And trust that we're here for something that will guide us through. So I hope that the principles that I shared in brief tonight give you access to something for yourself, and I also invite you, if you like, to reach out to me if, if you want to perhaps ex- stretch a little bit more and, and feel um, that having a mentor guide of some sort who's gone before could in any way be a benefit. Thank you.